0: Father, we appreciate everything that you've given us to be able to come together, fellowship, and study your word. And as we study the, this area of Satanology and demonology, we just pray, Father, you would give us wisdom to know the wiles of the devil, the strategies, the agendas that he has planned for us, to tempt us, to get us into all kinds of weird thinking, and to try to to try to get us into his world system. So, Father, help us to understand this. Help us to guard ourselves tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bruce, I can't hear me. Is my monitor not up or is it, is it my hearing? <laughs> I think I'm getting deaf. I can't hear anything anymore. It, fa- it sounds like, this, like I'm plugged up in my ears. It's the snowboarding. It no- <laughs> the snowboarding knocked my lung loose, and then it probably knocked my eardrums off. And, I, and then, plus, I can't see, so I'm blind and I can't hear, and I have one lung that's knocked loose. So anyway, that's what happens when you attempt to snowboard. Anyway, all right, uh, I think this is where we left off, I think. Maybe I went further than this. Is that where the cosmos is fully evil, the areas of temptation? I, we, I think I did that, right? Yes, okay, let me go on cosmos is impotent did we cover that we went to i I. okay okay we did i so okay we're in j we're on j okay okay so what we're looking at as far as uh satanology is we're looking at uh the cosmos which is called the world in the scriptures and it's his cosmos it's his world that's why he's the god of this world the prince of this world and so we're learning about the system in order to avoid it so that we don't get caught up in it and act like that system. And so right now, as you can see in the world, the church is now allowing the system to come into the church and act as if it is Christianity. And like we've talked about it over and over again, let's just take uh, any one of the systems uh, are we in any one of the categories from the system? Let's talk about even wokeism now in the church. Let's talk about cultural Marxism in the church. Let's talk about uh, the organization of Black Lives Matter that says everybody's a racist and the destruction of the nuclear family. Let's talk about, you know, now we're, we, we're, uh, the world's going into a non-binary issue of male and females. And if that even category exists, or you get to call yourself whatever you want, uh, let's go into the LGBT agenda. Then let's move into um, the medical aspect. Let's move into the scientific aspect. So, I talked to a guy this morning. Uh, it was 5 o'clock his time in England. And uh, I'm going to be doing a, a kind of a Zoom conference with those in England. And uh, he was telling me that the churches uh, there in England obviously are very, very soft. They're not going to talk about current events or anything like that, and they specifically won't talk about the vaccines, <clears throat> and they won't talk about all that's going on there. And he goes, they just the pastors are just failing their job. And I said, well, welcome to our world in America. The pastors won't talk about it. They won't talk about the pandemic or anything that's going on, and so they're virtually silent. So England is having the same problem, but the good news is there's a remnant there, that uh, a, a few churches, and he's going to let us know those churches so we can map those t- places out for people on our online audience. But the wokeism that you see, all, this, all these categories that you're hearing in America, they're there in England, they're there in Australia, they're there in Z- New Zealand, they're in South Africa, they're everywhere, it's in Canada. So what you're realizing is that Satan's system has infiltrated the church and it's global now not a regional thing anymore so these, these things that we're talking about just doesn't affect here in america it's happening in all the churches and you see the same thing He's, he was telling me like they won't speak out they, they stay silent i said wow that's the same activity i'm seeing here and and um obviously i you know there's some cowardness to it um, that a lot of those guys don't want to get in trouble with the government or whatever it is but Again, that's, that's when we talk about all these particular things that we're seeing. It's because Satan's system is now inside the church. And this was predicted by the Messiah. Messiah gave, uh, in the mystery parables in Matthew 13, three of the parables warns of enemy infiltration. The first one is the wheat and the tares, right? that enemy, The enemy will plant tares in the, in the, the church, The other one is the parable of the mustard seed that grows into a big tree, a la Christendom. And then the birds, which are already defined by Messiah in in the first part of the chapter as the uh, agents of evil, will come and nest in the branches of Christendom. So So you have agents that the enemy sends inside the church, whether it's false teachers, false prophets. And then the other one was the woman who would inter- that introduces leaven into three meals in, in the Matthew 13 parables. The woman introducing the leaven in three meals, the woman is associated with evil because she's introducing sin, false doctrine, into the church. And, and so the woman has been uh, studied, and many scholars conclude that the woman is the woman, the whore of Babylon. It is the harlot. And so Messiah is predicting that the harlot would put her leaven into three loaves. Well, if you look in church history, if, if the loaves refer to the church, they refer to the three divisions in Christendom. And the three divisions are, you have the Catholic division, you have the, the Orthodox division, and then you have the Protestant division. So up until this point, there's been three major divisions in the church, Hence, three meals, or, and then she introduces the leaven into it. Now, what's the action of leaven once it's introduced into bread? It permeates the entire loaf, okay? So the idea what Messiah was trying to, to, to tell us and predict was, in all three divisions of Christianity, all three will be leavened. All three will permeate through that dough. So if you look at Eastern Orthodox or any of the Orthodox churches, the leaven has hit into there. By the way, did you know that Beth Moore is now uh, not not Orthodox, but Anglican, which is kind of part of that same thing? Did you know that? She's no longer Southern Baptist. She's Anglican. Did you know that? Yeah, she's uh, apostatized into um, the Anglican church, which is just like going into Roman Catholicism. Okay, so, so anyway, you have the Orthodox, you have the Catholic. They have been thoroughly leavened, as we know. And then now we're seeing the last vestiges of Protestantism being corrupted by the leaven. And at this point now, you realize that we're, we have a remnant of churches throughout you know, the world, but that remnant is small. That hasn't been touched by the leaven. But like I was talking to the guy in England today, He's basically seeing the same thing. Every church there in England has been leavened thoroughly. They're no good anymore. And that's what's starting to happen in America. And, uh, you know, they have services and, and they, 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 they teach the Bible, but they're teaching the Bible like maybe at a kindergarten level, right? That you would get something like in Sunday school, and then they introduce all these other garbage theologies you know, that come from the whore of Babylon. So it's the same thing. So the whore does the bidding of her master, and her master is Satan. So the whore of Babylon is simply the one who induces the churches to do these things and introduces the leaven. Okay, so the idea is you have enemy plants in the church, you have enemy agents, and you have enemy doctrine. From those three parables, that's where the enemies will be found. People who will sit there right next to you, that is not the real deal. Okay? Then you'll have agents come into church and try to mess you up. And then you will have information. It's a uh, information warfare coming into the church we have those three aspects that you always have to be looking for so we get it all the time we get agents that come in here and try to mess things up we get false information that gets spread out and we have to put the kibosh on that and 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 then we also have to deal with those who claim to be christians that are absolutely not we get it all the time Okay, it's just part of the game. And that's what you have to get used to. That not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian, okay? You have to realize it. You need to realize this now in the day and time we're in. And then, again, yeah, that's one category. And then the other category is not every Christian is a, a mature Christian, okay? Some have repeated year one of their Christianity for 30 years, okay? That's just the truth, right? They never have grown. They're in churches that don't allow them to grow. Then there's other, other believers who are worldly. They're wrapped up in this world too much, and they don't have time for Christ, so they put him second. Then you have carnal believers that are ruled by their flesh, and they, they're useless because they're, they're too involved in the flesh. And then you have apostate believers who have departed from sound teachings and are now messing around with cultic teachings and spreading that out. That's called an apostate. So you have to understand that that system is corrupting the church in all these different categories. So anyway, the thing about it, though, the Holy Spirit, then, works through this system to people, okay? And so even though we're not part of the system, and neither is God, God intervenes into the system. And I guess what you would call that, we used to call in theology a power encounter. And what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit then works through the people of the system and convicts them. That's how he penetrates into the heart of that individual. And you know what he does. He's basically, the idea of conviction is that the Holy Spirit will demonstrate to their spirit that something is true. True. Okay, and again, it's not the Holy Spirit forcing himself on people, but it will convict them that that something is true. Well, what is that something? Well, it's three areas. First of all, um, that the the world of sin, he'll convict them of that. He'll convict them of sin. And what do you mean by that? Well, he adds this phrase. um, Messiah adds the phrase. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he's been doing that ever since creation, okay? But now that Messiah has come, additional information has been added to that conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Messiah spells that out. And he says, of sin, of what? Because they do not believe in him is what he adds to it. In other words, people are already condemned for their sin, okay, and now an additional sin has been added to it, which is is the the lack of a relationship with the Messiah. So the sin of unbelief in Messiah is an additional sin that they're convicted of amongst their other sins, if that makes sense. They're convicted of lying. They're convicted of, of murdering in their hearts. They're convicted of stealing. They're convicted of coveting but now a new sin has been added, the disbelief in the Messiah. That's what's been added to their conviction, okay? So with that conviction of sin, how do so many people stifle that? If the Holy Spirit is proving to each human being on the planet that you're in sin, how do they deal with that? What are the options? First of all, if you, you, you believe the conviction and you're convinced, you're gonna seek an answer. You're gonna seek an answer for the problem of sin, okay? And you can go one of two paths. You can say, well, I, I understand I'm a sinner, so I can choose the human path of doing good works to outweigh my bad works. Or I can choose the role of faith, Right? So the person will have a, a conviction about how they want to deal with that, okay? But that's not the only conviction. There's more convictions. But here's the thing. If you choose the path of trying to cover up your sin on your own, do works, righteousness, good, good, uh, good, good deeds, whatever it might be, philanthropy, whatever, something will happen in your heart, Okay, because you have been revealed truth and you have decided not to go down the path of faith. You will go down the path of works. Something happens to your heart because the same time you choose that, you are now suppressing something. You start suppressing truth, okay? The minute you start suppressing truth, what happens to you according to Romans 1? you start losing your mind. You stop thinking and reasoning correctly. That's why when you deal with people out in this world, they're not thinking straight. They're like in a fog, right? They're not rational. So you can be convicted, but if you choose the wrong response, you will push that conviction down and, and then all of a sudden, you won't start thinking straight. And so all of a sudden, the first thing you, don't, you think of that you can earn your way to heaven, you'll create an idol somehow, some way. You'll create an idol. And before you know it, you'll create an idol that's in your image. Whether it's an idol of Jesus, the false Jesus, a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit God, whatever you do, you will form a God that you make in your own image that actually allows you to do the particular sins that you like to do. Now your God God will agree with you on the things you think are bad and he'll agree with you on the things you think are good. So you become a God unto yourself at that point in time. That's what's happening to people when they refuse the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They will actually distort reality and create idols that allow them to do what they're doing. That's how they soothe their conscience. That's how they soothe, soothe the guilt. That's how they sleep at night. Do you really believe that Biden loses sleep, wringing his hand saying, I can't believe I'm so evil. Wow, where did I go wrong? Was it my mom and dad? And he's wringing his hand saying, how can I make this right? He doesn't do that, right? Because why? He's created an idol, a God, that allows him to do evil and heinous things. That's how they sleep at night, and justify it as if they're good. Now, you might say, well, that's crazy. Yeah, that's the whole point of Romans 1. You lose your mind, and you get so far out there, sometimes you won't come back. So that's the first thing uh, uh, of sin. The second thing, then, that he convicts you of is righteousness. So the Holy Spirit's always convicted people of righteousness, but now he adds something to it. Messiah adds something to it. He says, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So this is an additional thing to righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It basically signifies that Messiah fulfilled all the righteousness that was required by the law. Okay, He kept the entire 613 commands, which means that he was righteous. And the proof of that is is not only the resurrection as the proof of fulfilling all righteousness but his ascension back into heaven okay so when so, when the Holy Spirit's convicting them of righteousness, he will show them Jesus as the the perfect image of righteousness and how they are not so not only does he not does he continue to use the law as as a proof that they're not righteous, he will compare them to Jesus and in comparison to him, they will fall short. They are not perfect like him and they will realize that. And that's what the Holy Spirit's convicting the person of inside their heart, okay? Now, with that being said, if the person chooses to accept the witness of the Holy Spirit, then they will seek, well, I need a foreign righteousness. I will need, I will need something apart from this system, If they don't, they'll go to Satan's system and try to figure out ways in order to make themselves righteous according to Satan's system. And once they do that, their righteousness gets distorted. Yeah, they might be doing a few things good that are in the world or something like that, but what happens is it's a human uh, philanthropy type of righteousness but in even, even, even in the good things they do, they will fall short in the good things they do. It never is perfect. But in their minds, they convince themselves that they are righteous and they're doing a good job. And once you convince yourself that you're righteous, you don't have a need for the cross. You won't see why Jesus died for your sins. You, you're like, well, I can cover up my own sins by my own righteousness. And you, you can see how Satan's system plays into this. It convinces them that they're, yeah, you can attain righteousness on your own. Okay, let's move to the third one, the third conviction, and it's the judgment. And again, judgment has always been a conviction of the Holy Spirit, but now an additional piece of information has been added to this conviction. And Messiah says this, because the ruler of the cosmos is judged, And the idea, again, this is where we're bringing in the cosmos that we're studying. The idea is that because Satan has already been judged and eternally condemned, so too will those those who continue to follow Satan end up where he is if they continue to reject the Messiah. They will end up in the same place Satan goes. And so that's a conviction that the Holy Spirit's putting on people's hearts around the world. Now, here's the thing. If you're convicted of judgment, well, you want to do something about it if you want to respond correctly. But if you don't respond to that, then you will have to do something about your guilt. Okay, That's what people are struggling with. And so they will find ways to soothe their guilt. And they can explain it away, that there's no hell, that God is love, whatever they do, but they will figure out a narrative to soothe their guilt. Now, this is a godly guilt, that you've broken the law and you stand condemned. This is not human guilt, this is a godly guilt. And, and obviously, the Holy Spirit's convicting them of the solution, which is the Messiah who is perfectly righteous. Okay, so a lot of people then... What you will see in society, in this system, are motivated by guilt. Guilt is the biggest motivator in a lot of people's lives. Now, it makes them do all kinds of crazy things. It, it, it distorts reality, there's no doubt about that. And, and so, let, let's, just take, let's just take wokeism, for example, or, uh, and specifically critical race theory, okay, as an example. At the heart of critical race theory is a Marxist doctrine in order to divide people, okay? So it's not about race, it's about how to divide people. And particularly how to divide people from their money, really what it's about. So anyway, because that's what Marxism does. It wants to steal money. And so what it's doing with critical race theory is is, uh, dividing people and saying we got to take their money and make it more equitable to other people. Particularly, we're going to take the money from white people and distribute it out to other people, and that's what, that will be equity. So they class it in terms of racism, okay? Now, that's a cover-up for it, but it also is a soothing of guilt, okay? Because what they're doing is extremely evil, stealing wealth. That's what marxism socialism does it steals wealth so in order to in order to relieve guilt these ungodly people will couch what they're doing in moralistic terms if that makes sense so instead of saying we're going to steal your money they're going to say, well, we're going to make all things equal, and it's, it's, this white privilege is evil, and so we're going to couch it in moral terms that this is not fair, and we need to make things equitable. Bingo, they've just moralized an evil. You see how they do that? They moralize it by saying, we're just, we're just trying to be fair. It's not fair, right? And, and so that's how they sleep at night. But really, they're under judgment because, in order to do what they're trying to do, they have to steal money. At the end of the day, and so that breaks the, God's code, and they know they're going to be judged for it, so they got to figure out how to soothe it. Oh, okay, how about the border? Let's just deal with the border. What do the left say in order to soothe, soothe their consciousness? that we're letting unvetted people come through here. We don't know who they are. They're, 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 they're killing our economy because they take all the free stuff the left takes, and yet our taxes keep getting raised, and they're going to moralize it under what terms? We're being humanitarian. And the churches will, ma- will, will do this as well, and this is what they will say. The churches will come off and say, well, we're just trying to evangelize these new people. They're lying. The churches are not trying to evangelize them. The churches actually get money from George Soros and the Open Society Foundation in order to harbor illegal immigrants coming into our country because they get paid thousands of dollars. There's a big big money racket thing about all these megachurches that are helping illegal immigrants come in here because they get paid to teach them English. They get paid to teach them to drive. They get paid to teach them all kinds of things. And it's a big money deal. That's why the Catholic Church is neck deep in this. Amen. Neck deep in illegal immigration. And they can couch it in all whatever flowery terms they want. Well, we're, we're just you know picking up the stranger on the side of the road like the Good Samaritan. No, you're getting money for this. And so what evil has to do or people who want to act unrighteousness and avoid judgment is they have to couch what they're doing in moralistic terms now take for another example this is coming down the way by the way they're already talking about it and it's coming soon so they want to chip everybody put your vaccination records on this chip put your medical records your banking records and they want to flip to a digital currency pretty quick here okay how do you think they're going to couch that in moral terms Well, guys, this is for your security. We don't want people stealing your ID, right? You don't want your ID stolen, and plus, you won't have to carry a card. It'll be more convenient for you to have your vaccination passport right on your body. And you see, what this will do is it'll stop crime. Don't you see these 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 criminals that we just never put in jail? um, They won't be able to do their activities because. They don't have the cash because everything will be digitalized and wouldn't that be a safer environment for you and your kids? You see how I'm couching this? And people are going, yeah, yeah, Uh uh-huh. That sounds like a great idea. So step right up and we'll chip you, not realizing that the minute they do that, they've lost control of their lives. Denmark is already lining up for this right now. Sweden's all on board on this. They're already doing it, guys, and they're using it as a vaccination passport, but they're wanting to track every, where you go, every purchase you make, and then they are going to eventually start requiring uh, whether or not you can buy certain things. Okay? Now, they're going to say, look, because we want everything to be equitable and everyone to have their fair share, you've eaten too much beef this week, and so we're going to limit your beef intake, or whatever the intake might be, and you're going to have to just comply because when you you swipe your hand, you won't be able to buy beef, or whatever, or a gun. I'm going to talk about this in, in, in uh, I'm going to talk about this in the uh, Q and A. But what happened to Remington? You better take notice. You better take notice what, what happened with the Sandy Hook, the nine families that sued Remington. And what that, it, what that implies for gun ownership and all, all that's involved, they're going to put these gun companies out of business. That's what this is about. And the judge sided with the families that Remington played a part in the Sandy Hook shooting because their commercials encouraged young men to be a man to have a gun. And, and Remington lost I think, I don't, I can't remember the, the thing. I'll look on it. I, it's, it's in the millions and millions. What was it? 73. 73 million. Okay, there you go. So Remington lost 73 million in this. This is, this is where precedent is being set. And don't think for a moment, any other families of other shootings are not going to take advantage of this on other guns Glock or I- anyone else that made these guns. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, how, how do they couch it in moral terms? They're not going to couch it in terms of, well, we, you know, we understand your Second Amendment rights to protect yourself and protect against a tyrannical government. They're not going to say that. What are they going to say? We're going to save the children, don't you understand? We're going to save the children. See, see you, they're going to say this to you. Not me, but they are saying this. You gun owners... You guys carrying these, these military weapons, this is what gets kids killed. You see how the, they, they, they talk? They moralize it. It's about the kids. It's about the kids. So, uh, so if you're a gun owner, you must not like kids, right? That's the logic. You must not like kids. You must hate people. You must want to kill people because you own guns. Who in the world would have a gun? You see what I'm saying? They're moralizing it. This is what happens when you want to avoid judgment. You have to moralize it. Or how about the vaccine? Do you really want to kill grandma? Come on. You know, put your liberties aside and make the sacrifice for people. Don't you love humans or are you just hateful? You just hate people, you want to kill them, huh? You want to take the disease home and kill your kids and your grandma so you're so selfish and self-absorbed. You see how they moralize it? So you're the problem. Evil has to couch things in moral terms to get it through and to also avoid the guilt of judgment. Because you know what the truth is, right? It's not guns that kill people, it's people, right? Some kids off the chain, off the hook, that's not the gun's fault, but they make it the gun's fault, right? And you know about the vaccines and the jabs and all that stuff. Forget it, man. We already know the evidence of that. Um, now the stats are showing uh, that you're m- more likely to die and, and, uh, because you have been vaccinated. Okay, well. And at the same time, you got these, these local school boards and schools today pushing the mask after the Super Bowl. How can any one of them, with any shred of credibility, tell the kids they have to wear a mask after what we just watched at the Super Bowl. I mean, am I crazy? Did you see what happened? Garcetti, Gavin Newsom, one of the CTA guys, LeBron James. James, I mean, all the celebrities from Hollywood. I saw uh, Roger Goodell of the NFL sitting next to Russell Wilson, unmasked. They're They're all holding their breath, right? (gasps) And then they want our kids to go to school and wear a mask that they don't wear at a 70,000 people venue. The Hypocrisy, I, I understand. And yet today, you got administrators at the schools saying, make sure these kids put their mask on. Otherwise, there's gonna be consequences to pay. Who thinks like that? Who's evil people? And I'm telling you, we got some evil people running our schools. I hate to tell you that. I, I, I don't understand what, what, what has happened to our school systems, and I'm just talking about Bakersfield. I know rest of California is crazy. I know it. But Bakersfield, I'm a little shocked. I'm a little shocked that the principals and superintendents and the boards that just sit there and take it. Have they bought into the cosmos, though? You see what I'm saying? How are they soothing their guilt how are they soothing the hypocrisy of our leaders and them issuing the orders from the leaders as uh, don't do as I do, do as I say? And they're carrying out the orders. I'm sorry, man. That, that, that's, we're getting into the realm of they're in the cosmos. They're part of the cosmos system. And so they have a distorted perception, as you can see. So that's how they soothe judgment. Okay, that being stated, here's the thing about the gospel in that regard. The Holy Spirit does that for every individual on the planet that has ever been born and will continue. What does that say about people's responsibility then? If he's doing that to every human being, and then they have general revelation of the the creation, they have the general revelation of uh, their conscience, bearing witness. Then they have the general revelation of history, according to biblical history, and the general revelation of providence. And then they have the Holy Spirit convicting them. What does that have to do with their responsibility? This is why scripture says no one is guiltless because of what God has done. So the argument, well, what about the Bushmen over there in, in the, 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 the African Plains that's never heard of Jesus? Oh, he has because he's been convicted. I went to Uganda one time on a mission trip. I, I was struggling to prepare myself because I'm like, okay, I'm going into like villages that are in mud huts, man. They have never seen a Westerner and never heard the gospel of Christ. So I was a little... little afraid about my approach that I, i i kept thinking man i'm just gonna have to explain what sin is and and how it's a trespass of god's law and i was getting into so deep and i'm thinking oh man it's gonna take forever to to witness to people you know what i found out holy spirit was already there so when i talked to these people about sin they already knew what it was They'd never seen a Bible, never heard a Westerner, never heard the gospel. But when I talked to them about sin, they're all like, yeah, I am. They all knew it. They all knew it. How is that possible? Holy Spirit. They were already convicted. They knew they were in sin because the law of God is written on people's conscience. And so he's convicting them of this and sin, righteousness, and judgment. We got there and we say, well, this is the answer. And they're like, okay, I want to get saved. We, like, we, we led like 2,000 people to the Lord in two weeks, okay? That's how receptive they were because the Holy Spirit was already working on them. So you, you see things like that, and you're like, okay, no one's without excuse. All are responsible. And that God is doing this through Satan's own system. This is why we call it a power encounter, because these people are trapped in his world, the cosmos, and God reaches right into them and talks to them through the Holy Spirit. That's called a power encounter. He's powering through Satan's system. Now let me give you another example of what we call in theology a power encounter. Um, and I've told you guys this story before, but I want to explain how the dynamics work. So this gal was in Satanism for, for a long time. She was in her mid-30s. She had been with uh, Anton Lovay in the Church of Satan since she was like a little girl. She would have been baptized in blood satanic ritual abuse satanic practices you name it been there done it and again you you're not going to get away without any of that happening to you unless because she was with anton lavey the church of satan in san francisco okay so she shows up at the church door and she says that a vision told her to come to the church and that we would tell her um the meaning of her vision. And so what ended up happening is that we brought her in, I dealt with her, and what she explained to me was that she was having a vision. And the vision was that she was, I guess, I don't know, mountaintop type of area, but it was kind of flat at the top. And um, right in front of her was this shepherd she couldn't see his face, um, but the shepherd she that she saw in the vision, knew everything about her, everything, every detail, every aspect. And she said, then over in this other area was a flock of sheep. And there was 99, she said. And then she said that there was one sheep that was lost. And she said, I could feel the intense grief of the shepherd as as he grieved wanting to find this lost sheep. And she goes, it was intense pain, intense emotion. And uh, she goes, I've never seen someone hurt that bad for this lost sheep. And then she said in the the dream, or sorry, the vision, that another uh, being came into the, the, the vision and said, if you want to know who the shepherd is, go there and they'll tell you who he is. Okay, which is very typical of uh, what's going on in the Islamic world, right? They have dreams and visions of this. So that's how she ended up at our, at our door. And, and I, I said, well, this is who the shepherd is. So uh, I explained to her that, but again, the long story short, she wouldn't accept the shepherd, even though she knew the shepherd had power. She, she didn't want to let go of, she called Mr. S's power. She had 12 demons inside of her. She had let, let in. And she, she enjoyed the power that she had. And so she, said she, she basically said she wanted both. She wanted Mr. S, and she wanted the power of the shepherd. And I, we told her, you can't have both. You have to renounce Mr. S, and you have to accept the shepherd. And and we t- you know we explained who the Shepherd was obviously Jesus the Messiah and, but every time we tried to talk to her the demons inside of her would give her pain in her head they they an inc- intense pain in her head that brought her to her knees and then we were actually having encounters with her where she would flash and go her eyes would roll back and then whatever was looking at me was pretty evil it, and it was a different it was a different countenance. When you, can, when you look at people that are demon-possessed, it's the eyes that are the giveaway. It's the voice that's the giveaway. It's the strength that's the giveaway. But when you look into someone that's demon-possessed and the demon has actually taken over the eyes, the eyes look like a thousand feet of darkness that just go on forever. But then when you look at the countenance of the person, there's an hatred of you that you have never seen on a human level. Because honestly the the, the 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 demonic expression on her face that was contorting her face was so evil that they would have ripped us to shreds had we not been protected by the messiah and of course we have the seal of Messiah on us that protects us from being attacked like that, but that was the only thing that that prevented them from even trying to do anything to us. They did rear up, they cussed at us, spit at us all kinds of crazy stuff you know uh, tried to try to you know, they would flinch at us, but they, they, were, they were held back. They couldn't go any further. But my point about this, about God going into the cosmos as a power encounter is if people want to know the gospel, he will make sure they get it. Even someone trapped in Satanism, you think that's a stronghold that's hard to break out, but he got that vision to her and put her in a position where she had to make a decision and renounce Satan and accept the Messiah. Well, she didn't, but he did give her that opportunity through that power encounter. And and I'm thinking, you know, what I want you to understand is no matter how powerful the system of Satan seems to be, God cuts through it like a knife through butter. It's not a problem for him. And so you have to understand that. And you have to understand that's the authority and power you have in the cosmos. It's not our home. This place is not our home. But you have the authority from Jesus to be here to do what you're doing. You're going to get hindered. But at the same time, um, you can do your work as long as you push through hindrances. And, and so I want you to keep that in mind because it's getting very bad out there. Very, very bad. I'm get, I get it, man. Um, there's some things that are becoming very frightening that we're looking, but you don't have to be, man. Because if 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 you can take those stories of how God just encounters those people, you shouldn't be afraid. Absolutely, should not be afraid. Just do what you're called to do, and you can cut through even Satanism because of God's power. And um, anyway, so I share you that story just so you can understand. You know, not you know. We're on a rescue mission to get these people rescued. And God's going to make sure they, they, they all hear the gospel. Okay, so here's where we go to our position in the cosmos. Um, we are in it, as you know, Scripture talks about it, but we are not of it. Now, everyone knows that phrase, but do we really know what that means? Okay, I'm not in the world. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. What does being, being of it mean? What does that mean in terms of our application? Because here's the thing. If you start participating with the world, you're participating in Satan's system. And that will have an effect on you. That will mess you up. So how, how can we be in it but not of it? What is the dividing line that keeps us from being of It's where we have to get some definition here. Faith, yeah. Consistent. Consistent? The Holy Spirit conviction. Walking in spirit. Walking in the spirit, yes. Will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now remember, there's three areas in the cosmos that you're gonna be hit. The world, uh, uh, sorry, the, 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 the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and what else pride of life okay so if i'm going to avoid the world i have to be on the watch for those three categories in my life okay so anything of the lust of the flesh that pulls me into the activity of the world right there anything of the lust of the eyes that pulls me back into the world and in the pride of life remember we went over those things so you mentioned like like, like jay mentions like walking in the light yes but that is a one category thing. Walk in the light so you don't desi- th- fulfill what? The desires of the flesh. Well, that's one category. So, how do you walk in the Spirit? Do you know how to walk in the Spirit? How do you walk in the Spirit? Oh, my God, that's a different, uh, different ballgame. you got to put the right tools on. In order to walk in the Spirit, according to uh, Galatians chapter 5, you must yield yourself first. To what? The Spirit's control of your life. So the first thing you don't want to do is try to attempt something on your own. Try to attempt obedience on your own. If you attempt obedience on your own, it will fail. So the first thing in order to walk in the spirit is I must yield to the Holy Spirit. And what it, if I yield, then what can he do through me? He can fill you, which means empower you. When we ask to be filled by the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? We're, we're yielding ourselves to his control, not my control. I actually surrender control of what I'm doing, okay? So when I, when I surrender control, then that's a yielding, and then he can empower. But he will not empower if you choose to control yourself. You will lose power. You'll try to do things in the flesh, okay? So you yield, okay, so what does that do? That allows now the Holy Spirit to work through me, Okay. The Holy Spirit will not work through your sin nature. The Holy Spirit works through the new nature that has been given, which is the life of Christ. And then that new disposition that you have as a believer, it actually wants to obey. Your sin nature wants to fight and rebel. So when God says, don't do this, the sin nature will say, yes, I will. The new nature says, yes, Father, I want to obey. So then at that point, when you surrender, you surrender to the Holy Spirit's power to be used through the new nature in order to obey. Okay? So then what does that entail? Go a little further in that. Okay. In order to obey properly, in order to function in walking in the Spirit, there is an element of faith that's involved. Okay, so it's not just yielding. The whole process is amount of faith. You have to you have to believe in yielding that you can receive the, the power from the Holy Spirit. That's a faith issue. Then, the issue is whatever you need to be obedient for you have to trust God for. That's the first thing. Before you even act, you have to trust God for. Well, trust him for what? Okay, I don't know. Let's just pick out some random sin that you're trying to stop. I don't know. Cussing, Cussing, okay. Macron does a real good job of cussing publicly. Um, Okay, so anyway, uh, let's say you want to stop cussing. So what's at the heart of cussing? Oh, that's just I have a foul language? No. What's at the heart of cussing? Let's say you want to overcome cussing. It's typically a a sign that you can't control your emotions, and the only way you can control your emotions and regulate your emotions is through your tongue. You don't know. It's somebody that shows you they have no control over their emotions. So and I get it. After people do it a long time, it just rolls off like a native language, right? I get it. I mean, you've been around some of the teenagers. They say they f bomb like every other word in school. I don't know how the teachers put up with that. They they cuss like sailors, man. Especially the teenagers. They they just they don't they don't even think it's a cuss word. Anyway, okay. So so the heart of the the cussing comes from a person that's wanting to express emotions and doesn't have the vocabulary to do it and doesn't have the relational ability to do it. So the resort is, I'll just cuss. Because they can't articulate what they're feeling, they can't regulate how they're feeling, and so they resort to cussing. And cussing is a, a emotional release, right? It makes, them, it makes them feel that they can put a stamp on what they're trying to say. It emphasizes what they want to say. Instead of having the vocabulary that can actually speak to their emotions, they don't possess, nor do they want to get that vocabulary, nor do they want to get control of their emotions. And so the, at the heart of it, then, is an emotional regulation that the person can't control, okay? How do I get to what? What is how how do I get at that? Well, there's something you're not trusting God for. If you can't regulate your mouth, what do you? What could you possibly think of that the person's not trusting God for in regulating their mouth? So you first have to then start with why is the person angry? You see, the cussing's not the problem. the The anger is the problem. What's the the root of the anger? the root of the anger will be found in something they disbelieve about God. So what could that possibly be? Now, I get it get, that someone's gonna hit their thumb and cuss. Well, I'm not, that, that's, that's usually, that's understandable. But when cussing is directed towards somebody, okay? It's direct, usually cussing is directed um, in anger towards somebody, for a reason, in a relational aspect. Okay, so what do you think is at the heart of the emotional problems of that individual? Okay, there's pain there. They have a pain from somewhere in their past. It's it's formed a root of bitterness, according to Hebrews chapter twelve, and that pain. In order to regulate that pain, they they the only way they know how to deal with that is through anger. And then the branch that comes from the root is the cussing. And they, 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 they put it on other people when someone's touching the root. As long as someone's touching the root, they will let it fly. They can't stay calm because someone's hitting that root of trauma, of crisis, of pain. So what do you think the problem is? The pain hasn't been solved. That's why they cuss. And since the pain hasn't been solved, it affects their emotions, which affects their behavior, which is the cussing. So you just have to go back, 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 okay, so then they have pain. Okay, where's the faith come in yet? Where's the faith? So so here's what someone will try to do on their own. I'm going to start today and never cuss again, right? That's how they'll do it. And they're just, oh, I'm mad, Mm, mm, mm." And they're cussing in their head, right? They cuss in their head. Well, I didn't say it out loud, but you're you're cussing in your head. So where's the faith? Okay, the faith is, is where the pain is. That's where the lack of faith is. Okay, so what's the pain? It could be anything, something that happened to them. Maybe they were rejected. Maybe they had trauma given to them. Maybe someone hurt them maybe a, a spouse betrayed them maybe maybe you know whatever it might be and they 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 were hurt okay so at the moment they were hurt instead of processing that by faith and how the lord wants us to deal with people who hurt us they took matters into their own hands and said you know what? I'm not letting go of this. Someone's gonna pay for what they did to me. And I will hold on to the penalty of what this person did to me until justice is met out. So what, so, so I give you a little clue there. What are they not trusting about God? His justice. So the root of cussing is the lack of faith in God's Justice. Well, at least for this situation. What do you mean? See, the person who is hurt is not willing to say, well, I can forgive you because in forgiveness, what I do in forgiveness is I lay the penalty part, I take it away from me, and I give it to God. And he deals with the justice, right? That's what we're supposed to do. That's the root of forgiveness, is you give the justice over to God and let him deal with it. But the person won't do it. Because you know why? They don't trust God with the justice. Because they think, they're like like, uh, Jonah going to Nineveh. I know you're a loving, gracious, merciful God. I'm not going there because I know what'll happen. They'll see your love and mercy and repent. And I don't want them to repent. (laughs) Right? That's what he did. That's a Jonah attitude. And a lot of people have a Jonah attitude. Hey, look, if I if I give this matter over to God, I know how He is. I know He's going to treat them. They're not they're not going to see any pain in their life. They're not going to be punished. You know, it's it's all going to go under the cross, and then then what? They get saved, and then they're going to get punished because their punishment went to the cross. That's not fair. You see the logic in this? This is how people think. If they get saved, then where's their penalty, man? It's all under the blood. At that point, I don't want them to get saved because I want God to to throw a lightning bolt down and kill him. That's really what they're thinking. Wait a second. You you see the problem in the person that thinks like this. So not only do they not trust God for the judgment of this and and, and him dealing with the the justice of all of it and and working things out and and bringing the bubble back to center, they also have a a hard time with his character they don't like the fact that he can, he can show them compassion and mercy and, and, and grace based on faith. All of a sudden they turn into a Pharisee. All of a sudden they turn into the older brother of the prodigal son. You see where that happens? I didn't do what they did, but look what they did. He doesn't deserve to come back. He took his old inheritance and left. Remember the older brother? That's what people start becoming. Okay. So if I trace it back, in order for the person to stop cussing, they must yield to the Holy Spirit and be okay with giving the justice over to God by faith and taking by faith that God will mete out the punishment as he sees fit before they even act. So you understand that obedience is not done by your good works. Obedience starts by faith. This is what Christianity doesn't teach anymore because they teach a works-based salvation and they teach a sanctification by works. Your sanctification is by faith too. So if I get my head screwed on straight and I think correctly in my faith, I actually, it will actually just come out in my, my, my attitude. It will just be a natural thing you actually will be set free once you believe in God's justice. But the problem is most people don't believe in God's justice, even his own believers. Take another issue, any issue. It's the same thing. When you're trapped in sin and you don't know how to get out of it and it is kicking you in the pants, the first thing you have to do is say this, what's my root problem and what am I not believing God for? Once you figure that out, you can actually change your thought, change the, change the faith, and then all of a sudden, it will come out in your, in, as an automatic in your behavior. You can't change your behavior on your own. It's done by faith. And the first thing you have to do is yield. And so, what, so yielding has to do with quit taking your, ma- your matters into your own hands. Quit trying to overcome this on your own effort. That's the problem. Most Christians are trying to overcome things on their own effort and don't even access the Holy Spirit. So what would the Holy Spirit do to me if I want to go back into my, my core problem? He's going to give me insight. He's going to convict me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, I'm already saved. Okay, so what is he going to convict me of sin in the area of my root? What would he convict me of? If I open myself up to the Holy Spirit and say, Father, reveal to me through the Holy Spirit what my sin in this is, oh, that's not a question people ask. They say, stop them from sinning against me, right? Or they sinned against me, and look how messed up I am, right? Right? So the first thing is, where's my sin at? Well, my sin is what I don't believe, that's my sin. You're not believing something, okay? Righteousness. So if I, I go through the exercise of righteousness, and he's going to convict me of righteousness, what is he going to say when I have a root of bitterness about my righteousness and about the situation? Because he, in, in this particular situation that we gave, the person won't forgive and won't hand over the justice to, another, to God. So what's the problem with the Righteousness. Well, as far as the judgment is concerned, they don't believe that God is righteous fully. Because if they did, they would be able to hand it over. Well, the righteous judge can handle that. But they don't. So they have a misbelief, not only in the justice of God, but in the righteousness of God. And Messiah, has Messiah proven that he's righteous? Okay. You know he's righteous. So that's when everything that happens to you can be given to the righteous judge. Isn't that correct? Should be, but why do people harbor bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness? Because they really fully don't believe he's that righteous. That's the problem. Sin, righteousness, now judgment. I'm a believer, so I'm not going to hell. You're a believer, you're not going to hell, but what if I harbor bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, and I have a root of bitterness right there, and God's saying, that's the sin, you don't believe me, you don't trust my righteousness and judgment, or sorry, righteousness and, and, and uh, justice, But what about the judgment? How would that bear into it? What would the Holy Spirit convict me of in judgment? Number one, you're out of fellowship with me. If you want my forgiveness, you better forgive your brother or sister. Now, that's not talking about salvation as a condition of salvation. It's talking about a condition for fellowship with the Lord. If you don't forgive others, you're going to get out of step with the Lord, out of fellowship, and you're going to function in, the, in a, in a, a uh, broken fellowship. Not a broken relationship, but a broken fellowship. It would be like your kid acts bad, and you put them in a room, you have broken fellowship, but the kid's still your kid, right? But your fellowship is broken. So what Messiah was saying is, well, you don't forgive others, then he's not going to forgive you in fellowship, and you're going to get out of fellowship. So that's the first judgment, you get out of fellowship. What's the problem with being out of fellowship with the Lord? What's the the penalty that will actually come from that? First of all, you'll be disciplined by the Lord if you don't get your act straightened out uh, 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 fairly quick. So you're going to get spanked, Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. The second thing is, if you continue to go on and on and on, then he will just let Satan mess with you and say, well, you don't want my discipline, then I'll have someone else punish you. And the one that's going to punish you will spare no flesh. No holds barred right. If if you come out from under that authority of the protection of the Messiah and the church, then you're on his territory, and he can rip you to shreds. In fact, he can kill you at that point. So there's a judgment. What we call this is temporal judgment. Temporal judgment judgment where a believer shortens their life because they remain out of fellowship they won't let it go and they keep persisting in the sin unrepentance okay so he took ananias and sapphira he took some of the corinth church said time get your toys let's go we're going home enough play time we're going so we'll do that now there's another judgment for the believers what's that the what Yes, so at the Bema Seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, all believers will go there. Now, you're not judged on your sin per se at the judgment seat of Christ. You're judged on how much he can reward you or not reward you. But sin plays a secondary role. Please understand, you're not being judged for your sin at the Bema Seat. That sin has already been judged. You're being judged by the works you did And can sin affect those works? Yes. So when you're out of fellowship, your works are messed up. It's when you're out of fellowship that you will start losing rewards because you'll do things with the wrong motive, you'll do things with the, uh, the wrong intention and all that stuff. And therefore, your sin, even though it's judged at the cross, will secondarily or tertiary, affect your rewards at the judgment seat. So Messiah will be, in essence, saying to you, well, I was going to reward you with this, but because of that particular sin of unforgiveness or whatever it was that affected your works for me and put you out of fellowship with me, for this season of life, I cannot reward you because of what happened to you getting out of fellowship with me. You see how it's a secondary thing, a secondary cause, if that makes sense. Again, it's not a, not a, not a judgment of sin, but your sin can affect your, your rewards. And so the other judgment is a loss of rewards, which, again, is not emphasized in typical Christianity. They emphasize only heaven and hell, and that's it. But the problem is the majority of the New Testament is about your rewards. The majority of, of, of what Peter and Paul, even Messiah, say is about rewards. It's not about heaven, it's about rewards in heaven. Some will be greater, some will be less than. He said it, not me, right? He said some will be great, esteemed great in the kingdom and some will be less. I don't wanna be the less guy. But probably a good hunch would be the guys who are less probably spent a lot of time out of fellowship with the Lord because of the sin they were dealing with. And so it messes up their ability to be rewarded. You're not gonna be rewarded out of fellowship. You're in prodigal son living, if that makes sense, right? So he, didn't, he loses his inheritance. The idea is you lose rewards in the inheritance like the prodigal son. Okay, with that being said, that's a long story. Um, um, that's probably more than you want, what you wanted to, to hear, but I hope I was clear on how you obey. It's by faith. It's by faith, it's not by works, and, 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 and this is where, like, when you believe correctly, that freedom comes. Because, like, if you truly believe something, l- l- let me give you an example, okay? I'll give you an example. I was at the um, uh, Right to Life, uh, no, the Bakersfield Pregnancy Center uh, uh, dinner last night. And it's the issue of abortion and, you know, trying to save babies and, and all that, as you know. So let me, get, let me pose this question to see where your faith is. Do you believe murdering babies in the womb is wrong? Guess what? That's a sign of freedom. What are you free from? If you, you truly believe it, like no one could convince you to go abort a baby, right? You, like they would have to kill you to do that. You're not going to kill an innocent baby. And I know everybody in this room would feel that way. Do you know what that shows you? That because of, that, you truly believe something, you're actually free. How are you free then? What are you free from? Number one, you're not going to be tempted. Even if someone tries to tempt you to abort, you're not going to do it because you, you believe it's wrong. You're free from temptation. You're free from ever acting that way. Ever. I mean, I want you to think about that. You're, you, there will never be a time where, like, hey, man, I really struggle with abortion, and man, I'm having a tough time. You guys pray for me because you know I was I was sober for like uh, six months, but then now I'm I'm backtracking and I'm back in the abortion thing again. I'm I don't know. Would you ever hear something like that? No. Once you once you believe that that's murder, you're done. You never waver back and forth. That indicates. Freedom, spiritual freedom. Okay, now take that and apply it to what you're struggling with. You see what I'm saying? The reason we are struggling is because we don't believe something about God. It's, that's where the, the issue is. So when in, individuals struggle with pornography, it's not a pornography issue. It's a trust issue. It's an identity issue. What 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 could that be? What are they not trusting about God? Remember, I said it's an identity issue. They don't trust their identity in Messiah. That's the problem. Porn is not the problem. Is they don't know who they are in Christ because they think they have a rejection identity and they have to soothe that rejection identity through escapism into pornography, or let's say alcohol, or let's say drugs, or whatever the pleasure is, because they have a shame identity and a rejection identity. Why? Because they've never, they never—they believe that's who they are, they, be, they believe Satan and the world and what they said they were, they were told. This is my identity. I'm all messed up. I'm jacked up. I'm this. So I need to relieve this pain so I'm going to hit the drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever. Because I'm getting so rejected again. No, but the real issue is you don't, you don't trust your identity of who Jesus says you are. And there's like 75 scriptures telling you and I who we are in the Messiah. You're a king, you're a priest, you're an overcomer. I mean, just keep going down the line, right? You're a male, you're a female. I know that sounds crazy that I would have to say that, but yeah, yeah, you're a male. You never have to doubt that you're a male like they're doing in the world, right? You never have to doubt you're a female, biologically. But, but what, what, what does that show? You see, if someone truly believed who they were in Christ, the addictions would stop. But here's what happens. What does modern society try to do with people who are in addictions? What do they, what do they tell them? Well, you just need to stop. Just stop. They can't. That's, what the, that's the thing. I've heard stupid pastors and stupid counselors say, well, just stop doing that. It's an addiction. Duh. They can't. That's the whole point. Why can't they? Well, you just got to stop cold turkey. Well, that may be, maybe Christ gives you that ability. But even think about this. 98% or even 99% of the people I know that struggle with pornography, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, they've never had this miraculous thing where they're completely free. Now, there's people that do, right? But what's the problem with that? If I just get miraculously healed all of a sudden of an addiction, that's great, but there's something that's going to be missing. What am I going to miss? What am I in this? I don't know what caused the problem in me, and therefore I can't help other people. All you can say is, I got miraculously healed. Okay. It's the person that overcomes the alcohol, the addictions, and the pornography, and, and does it by faith, that can actually say to other people, yeah, I was there, now I'm free, and I can show you how to be free. Now that becomes a helpful. So a lot of times people don't take away the addiction. They want, he, God wants them to struggle and learn why it happened. And so it's a teaching moment for them that God's trying to do. So they can help other people. So down to, down to seeing that, okay, identity issues are the main crux of the main people's problems. They don't know who they are. And Satan doesn't want you to know who you are. He really doesn't. He's going to tell you, you're not who you think you are. You're this. You're messed up. Remember what your parents did? You're rejected. You're no good. Your family doesn't love you. You're, you're uneducated. You're stupid. You're, you, don't even try. That's the, idea, the identity that people have. It jacks them up. Okay, any questions so far? We've got to take a break, man. I've spoken too long. I wore myself out tonight, man. Okay, five-minute break. We'll come back and do Q&As, okay?